Guru must teach me and lead me into light. Make me a link in the chain of which he himself is a link. The man in the street cannot claim to be a guru. The guru must be a man who has known, has actually realized the divine truth, has perceived himself as a spirit. A mere talker cannot be the guru. A talkative fool like me can talk much, but cannot be the guru. A true guru will tell the disciple, Go and sin no more, and no more can he sin. No more has the person the power to sin. This was a quote by Swami Vivekananda. Hello listeners, welcome to Itihasa, an Indic history podcast, and you're listening to episode 20 of the season Vijayanagara. This is the ninth and final installment in the foundation series of this season. In the last episode, we looked at the fall of Tughlaqs in the Deccan, the rise of Hassan Gangu, and his eventual inauguration of the Bahmani kingdom. In this episode, we will look at the mysterious character of sage Vidyaranya of Sringeri Matha. who was the power behind the power vidyaranya was renowned to be the king maker who inspired funded and oversaw the eventual rise of sangamas as a torch bearers of sanatana dharma it is said that he played an important role in facilitating a peaceful transfer of power from hoysalas to sangamas after the death of virabhalala the 3 Hence the foundation series would be incomplete without us exploring in depth the Vidyaranya Sringeri connection with Sangamas and Vijayanagara This episode is a capstone of the foundation series which depicts the fact that the foundation of Vijayanagara was a culmination of the dogged resistance of Hindus in the south against the juggernaut of Khiljis and Tughlaqs Let us begin this episode with a fascinating story then start dissecting it and explore various narratives theories and facts around this whole aspect Sometime around 1330s Hakka or Harihara and Bukka his brother were once out hunting somewhere in the Hampi region It is said they were hunting near the sacred Matanga hill which has connection with Ramayana's Vali Sugriva story So during their hunting session the hare that their hunting dogs were pursuing suddenly turned around on its hunters and began to chase the fierce hounds Both the Sankama brothers were alarmed at the sight of this unnatural behavior of the small hare So they pay a visit to sage Vidyaranya who was in a deep meditation and they recount the incident to him Vidyaranya explains the meaning of this omen to the sangama brothers he says that in the place where they witnessed this miracle it was destined for the weak to prevail over the strong and hence this was the most auspicious spot to build a new capital to challenge and defeat the islamic onslaught and then the sangama brothers with the blessings of vidyaranya and the sringeri pontiff Vidya Tirtha who is Vidyaranya's guru embarked on building a majestic and well fortified city of Vijayanagara 
a city that could act as a defense to protect Sanatana Dharma against the expansionism of Islam. Let's look at an excerpt from the 16th century ethno-historical classic Rai Vachakmu for more on this. Quote, Vidyaranya did as the goddess commanded and left the Kashmir country. He came to Ujjain and then to Kolhapur. And as he was on his way from there to Kishkinda, he stopped to bathe in the Tungabhadra. Then he came to the bank of the Pampa river and worshipped the goddess Pampa, who was also the consort of Lord Virupaksha. He then climbed the Matanga hill and scanned the four quarters, looking for a square plot of ground on which to found his city. Just then a hare came out of a cave in the hill and began to chase a dog that had been watching a herd of cows nearby." Unquote. If you observe the story that I initially narrated and this excerpt, they pretty much follow the similar line of a weaker hare chasing the stronger dog and also observe the detail of a meditating sage. The only deviation is who actually witnessed the incident. In the former story, it was the Sangama brothers who witnessed it and in the latter, it is sage Vidyaranya himself. So this is one of the main narratives or should I say legends around the foundation of Vijayanagara. Listeners will either hear or read about this legend or few variations of it in almost every book on Vijayanagara. But then this shouldn't be taken on face value or too literally. And let me explain why. In both the stories, we obviously observe the same narrative of weaker animals chasing the stronger animal in the Hampi region. In reality, it was a very frequently used trope in South Asia and Southeast Asia. Especially when it came to the Indian cities that were founded in between 1200 to 1600 AD, these foundation stories, legends or tropes were actually pretty common. It was also common for older tropes to be co-opted, adopted, slightly altered to the newer era and newer circumstances. And even more interesting thing is that most of these stories were recorded or written in between 1400 to 1800 AD, which is long after the epoch event of foundation had happened in their respective empires or kingdoms. Let us look at an excerpt from the famous Indian historian Harun Khan Sherwani's 1967 work on the foundation of Hyderabad. Quote, It is said that the king, who was fond of the chase, went out hunting. And when he had crossed the bridge over the Musi river, he came to a level ground which pleased him well. It may be remarked here that such episodes are found in our chroniclers in a number of contexts and they only add a romantic element to the otherwise prosaic narratives." Unquote. So this was an excerpt by Harun Khan. Here we notice again the king going on a hunting or chasing a prey detail before witnessing or finding a place fit for founding a new city. Let us now look at another one which is in the foundation of Anihalapattana, which is modern-day Gujarat's ancient capital before the foundation of Ahmedabad. Quote, The shepherd 
whose name was Anihal, stipulated that the city should be named after him, saying at the time that he had seen a hare beat a dog by exertion and agility. The ground was selected to receive the name of Anihalvara. Then the population increased and the town became a place of a note. And then it was changed to Patan. Unquote. Let's look at one final foundation story. That of Vijayanagara's arch-rival, Bahmani Kingdom's capital, the city of Bidar. Quote, One day, when he went out hunting in the neighborhood of Muhammadabad, a dog seized a hare by the tail. The hare turned around and fought with the dog, overcame him. Sultan Ahmad, on seeing this, said, The climate of this country seems to be conducive to bravery, seeing that a hare beats a dog. If I should found a city here and make it my capital, the men who shall be born here and grow and thrive in the climate of this region will certainly be braver and more manly." Unquote. So far, we have seen a similar hunting, hare dogs trope being repeated in the foundation stories of Hampi, Bidar, Anihalapatana and Hyderabad. The funny thing is, it's the same trope which was also used as a foundation story for Vijay Nagara's post-Bahmani rival, Ahmednagar. So now you can see why we shouldn't be taking these foundation stories too literally. These tropes were turned into legends and history for the sheer purpose of propaganda which helped establish and polish the divine origins of an empire. Think of them as modern-day memes that encapsulated a series of complex and not-so-divine events that led to formation of a city or empire. This meme or a trope could then be easily digested and propagated by word of mouth across long distances of the empire. With enough people repeating it, the trope would have taken a life of its own. So, in short, these were compressed stories designed to build, bolster political legitimacy in the eyes of local population or the citizens of the empire. Also, in addition to adding an aura of sacrality around the capital or around the, the king who was occupying the capital. Now that we understood the foundation story and tropes surrounding it, let's look at the events that actually transpired on the ground, which eventually led to the foundation of what we know as Hampi or the city of Vijayanagara. Some listeners might be asking a question or having this question in their mind. You might be asking, Hey Narendra, you mentioned that Veera Bharlala in the previous episodes, had actually built Vijayanagara. Here, you're right, but think of it as Veera Bhallala building a strong garrison, but not the complete city. So keep that in mind. Now let's continue the episode. In the last few foundation episodes, we looked at the foundation of Vijayanagara from a political and military perspective, and also from individual perspectives of Veera Bhallala and Sangama brothers. Now, we will look at it from the vantage point of Vidyaranya or the Sringeri Matha. Vidyaranya, who would go on to become the spiritual head, philosopher and chief advisor for the first Vijayanagara rulers of the Sangama dynasty. 
Before we start with Vidyaranya's connection with Sangamas and the Vijayanagara, let's quickly set up a backdrop against which we can better contrast him and most importantly, which will help us understand his motives. We jump back in time to Tiruchirappalli in 1311 AD. Imagine you're standing in front of a majestic temple complex that's in flames and soldiers of the Khilji army are running a mock in the main sanctum sanctorum of this temple and some of them are dislodging the main deity's idol made with solid gold with crowbars and axes after butchering the pandya soldiers innocent citizens and the priests trying to defend it with their lives this was the approximate scene in the sri ranganatha swami temple during the first khilji invasion I had briefly touched on this aspect in the previous foundation episodes and also in one of the episodes where I speak about temples of Vijayanagara. The Sri Ranganatha Swami temple was also referred to as Tiruvuranga Tirupati and believed to have been built sometime around 6th century BC during the Sangam era and later built upon by succeeding empires like Cholas, Pandyas, Hoysalas and Vijayanagara. It's supposedly one of the largest functioning Hindu temples dedicated to Sri Mahavishnu in the world even rivaling the famous Angkor Wat temple complex in Cambodia Sri Ranganatha Swami temple has been one of the most important holy centers in India and a premier center of Vaishnavism even the legendary Ramanujacharya had an intense connection to this place in the 11th century In the sack of Sri Rangam during the Khilji invasions of the Pandya kingdom which I dwelled upon at length in the second foundation episode had sent shock waves across the length and breadth of India especially for Vaishnavites It is said that Vidyaranya had later visited Sri Rangam to witness the scale of destruction and carnage done by the Khiljis and he was deeply moved and impacted by the atrocities that were committed against the population in the holy places. It was mainly after this he had resolved to save the south from the Islamic invaders and freed from the despotic rule. It might be worth noting that Vidyaranya being a contemporary of the Khiljis and Tughlaqs most likely had an intimate knowledge of the destruction caused by the Islamic invaders even in the north where many other important holy places two were desecrated and plundered it is also recorded that vidyaranya's contemporary philosophical peer friend and a literary giant vedanta desika himself was a refugee at satyamangalam during the khilji invasion of the pandya kingdom and he had witnessed the pillage of sri rangam this first hand experience of vedanta desika also seems to have had a profound influence on Vidyaranya's motivations. Also, Vedanta Desika and Vidyaranya were very close. It goes back to the fact that they were classmates in Kanchipuram, where they were both studying Vedantic literature. One of Vidyaranya's masterpieces, Sarvadarshana Sangraha, makes a prominent mention of Vedanta Desika by his original name, which is Venkatanada. that the tenets of Ramanuja Darshana must be only known from Venkatanada's works. 
so you see you know both of them really respected each other and had high regard for each other's work now that you understand the motive of vidyaranya let's come to the man himself it is said vidyaranya was born sometime during the end of 13th century in 1296 ad and he died in 1387 ad during the reign of harihara raya 2 the third ruler of sangama dynasty of vijayanagara empire the importance of vidyaranya to the vijayanagara rulers can also be deduced from the fact that vidyaranya's death was followed by a state funeral and eulogy by the emperor himself and not just that the city of hampi was also called vidyanagara from time to time in 1377 ad he became the spiritual head and chief pontiff of the shringeri mata or also now known as shringeri sharada peetham which is in modern day karnataka vidyaranya was a strong follower of adi shankara's advaita philosophy and interestingly he did not allow it to disturb his enterprise to bring together experts and philosophers from other ideological and schools of thought now there are two narratives when it comes to vidyaranya and the vijayanagara connection one narrative says that vidyaranya did not help found vijayanagara because there is no direct reference to any individual by the name vidyaranya in the inscriptions related to the foundation of the city another narrative says that vidyaranya had reconverted the sangama brothers back to hinduism after witnessing their potential to liberate the southern islamic rule we already looked at this narrative in one of the previous foundation episodes and debunked it let's look at that quickly once again for those who didn't listen to that episode it might actually help you know give some context the narrative says that between 1327 to 1336 ad for a period of 10 years harihara and his brothers were muslims and it was in 1336 ad that they apostatized and reconverted back to hinduism by vidyaranya while there were many cases indeed of hindu rulers converting to islam to either save their thrones or their lives in this particular case there is no evidence other than farishta's chronicles talking about sangama brothers and mas converting to islam and then becoming apostates by reconverting to hinduism at some time most other muslim chroniclers refer to harihara but not as religious conversion this chameleon like change of religion by harihara and his brothers is difficult to believe especially when the first founder of vijayanagara harihara is regarded as a champion and defender of hinduism and hence one must ask an important question here these founders who profess to be the protectors of varnashrama dharma cows and brahmins who were supposedly the loyal dependents of the brave king prataparudra of kakatiyas that is if we assume that claim for a second the same prataparudra who had been destroyed by the islamic invaders for his refusal to embrace islam the question would be would harihara and his brothers then go over to the fold of these very invaders just to be appointed as tughlaq governors or ministers once again and another important question to ask would be 
would Vidyaranya of the renowned Shringeri Matha, the well-known and legendary guru of the Vijayanagara founders, their guide philosopher, would have associated himself with them, in spite of knowing that they had been what he considered as mlechas for ten years, engaging themselves in cow slaughter, eating beef and rolling in the name of genocidal invaders like Tughlaqs and Khiljis. When one looks at this through the lenses of the 14th century India, instead of looking at it through our post-truth and post-modern lenses, it becomes easy to understand that the Hindu society back then would not have tolerated such people or even allowed such a reconversion to take place at that time. Even if it did, it was probably very rare. Case in point, we have a famous example of the great Chhatrapati Shivaji Maharaj himself, who was refused a coronation initially with the court priest on the grounds that he wasn't technically a Kshatriya. Then there was a case of Shivaji's own brother-in-law, Bajaji Rao Nayak Nimbalkar, who had become a Muslim under pressure by Bijapur's Adil Shah in the 17th century. And it's well recorded how Bajaji was expelled from his community and seen as a mlecha for a long time, until Shivaji brought him back into the fold after reconversion. If it was so sensitive and intolerable in the 17th century, it would have been near impossible for the 14th century Sangama brothers to have done these religious somersaults and then be anointed by one of the most important figures related to Sringeri Matha as the defenders of Sanatana Dharma in such troubled times. The next controversy is about Vidyaranya's identity, an absence of proof showing his connection with the foundation. An eminent historian like Reverend Henry Harris himself claims that Vidyaranya and Sringeri Matha had nothing to do with the foundation of Vijayanagara. And he says that all the later inscriptions showing this connection were actually forgeries created by Sringeri Matha to fool the Vijayanagara rulers and the populace into giving the Matha generous grants and endowments and the legitimacy. Henry Harris also claims that the inscription from the Sringeri Jagir dated to March 9, 1346 AD as recorded in B. Lewis's Rice's Epigraphica Karnataka Volume 6 doesn't refer to any Vidyaranya Instead, it refers to only one Vidya Thirtha. This inscription, which we saw in one of the earlier episodes, records Harihara and his entire entourage of very prominent Nayakas and his brothers visiting the Singeri Matha to pay respects to its head, Vidya Thirtha, after the coronation and ascension of Harihara as the first Vijayanagara monarch. But the legendary Kannada historian whom we saw earlier Saklesh-Pur Sri Kantaya debunks Henry Harris's claims and he shows how flawed Henry Harris's argument from silence approach to prove the absence of connection is. Sri Kantaya in his seminal work The Founders of Vijayanagara published in 1938 exposes the inconsistencies in Henry Harris's theory. Even G.S. Dikshit in his work The Early Vijayanagara published in 1980s, dwells upon the inconsistencies of Henry Harris's analysis on Vidyaranya's identity. 
The main problem with Henry Harris's argument or his analysis is his lack of acknowledgement of the names Madhavacharya and Vidyaranya belonging to one and the same person. The name Madhavacharya was a real name of Vidyaranya and the name Vidyaranya was an assumed name after Madhavacharya became the chief pontiff of Shringeri Matha. Sri Kantaya looks at the literary and epigraphical evidence much thoroughly to get to the bottom of this and he offers a solid refutation to Harris. And the next problem being Henry Harris claiming the lack of reference to either Madhavacharya or Vidyaranya in the Shringeri inscription that we spoke about earlier which is dated to 1346 on the ascension of Harihara. Henry Harris isn't entirely wrong but he misses the nuance. The inscription indeed only refers to Vidyathirtha, the then Shringeri head. It would be interesting to know that Vidyathirtha was the guru of Vidyaranya at that time. If one thinks about it and understands the prevailing norms of the day, even if the junior and subordinates to the pontiffs had contributed significantly in some way or the other to the Matha's cause or to the Dharma's cause, the fruits of that labor and recognition is usually offered to the head or the senior most pontiff of the Matha. Just like Swami Vivekananda gave all the credit to Sri Ramakrishna and did everything in his name, similarly Vidyaranya did everything in the name of his Guru and he refused to accept any direct credit. Vidyaranya was to Vidyathirtha what Vivekananda was to Sri Ramakrishna in short. And in this case, it's exactly that's what happened. And it explains nicely why the Shringeri inscription depicts Harihara offering his respects to Vidyathirtha and not Vidyaranya. This was intentional. The pecking order, chain of command and hierarchy matter in politics, military and religious orders. So for Henry Harris to say Vidyaranya or Madhavacharya wasn't referred to in the coronation inscription and hence he had nothing to do with the foundation is indeed surprising as the crucial cultural nuance being missed is something that is not expected from an historian of his stature. Coming to the Henry Harris's accusation of epigraphical forgery against the Shingeri Matha and its 16th century pontiff, Ramachandra Bharati, who is supposed to have benefited from this forgery. It would be interesting to note that he didn't really get any benefit and nor did his successors derive any significant advantage. So the motive for any such forgery falls apart and we are left with some baseless accusations. It's also well recorded that Vidyaranya had performed a miracle that rained gold which then helped the Sangama brothers to build a grand city and its fortifications. The miracle is actually a metaphor for Vidyaranya's personal efforts in convincing the population and nobility to generously donate towards the construction of the city and the bigger cause of offering resistance against the invaders through Sangamas. And Shringeri Matha itself put its wealth and influence at the disposal of Harihara and Bukka. Shringeri Matha's spiritual preeminence 
to help lend political legitimacy to the sangamas which consequently helped in people seeing them not only as natural successors to virabhalala but also as kingly material with a divine hand over them and the rise of sangamas and their generous patronage also helped to elevate shringeri matha even further as a spiritual power center which gave it an edge in that region in the philosophical and ideological contest between vaishnavism and shaivism of the age in spite of this vidyaranya played a pivotal role in bringing about unity among the common people against the common danger of islamic onslaught he also appears to have forged unity between various religious leaders of the time religious leaders like vedanta desika and akshobhya tirtha along with other important spiritual leaders united in supporting vidyaranya who by statesmanship and political foresight utilized his influence effectively towards his ultimate goal of forging a strong defense against islamic rule in the south vaishnavas samarthas and shaivas were all equally afraid of the creeping islamic hegemony and were very anxious to join an all hindu confederacy to drive out muhammadans from all of south india so the followers of dvaita or madhava school of thought likewise associated themselves with vidyaranya putting aside for the time being their ideological and philosophical differences so on one side we had virabhalala along with sangama brothers working with telangana and andhra pradesh chiefs to offer a military front against the tughlaqs and on the other front we had vidyaranya from shringeri matha building a strong socio political consensus to help support and fund a budding power like sangamas to forge a strong hindu empire and rescue the hindu dharma from an existential danger it was facing vidyaranya sometime after the foundation of vijayanagara and stabilizing hariharas rule had gone back to kashi for his spiritual practices in 1356 ad after the death of harihara 1 the first vijayanagara ruler his brother bukka had ascended to the throne bukka then pleaded the pontiff of shringeri matha and guru of vidyaranya to issue an official letter to vidyaranya asking him to come back to vijayanagara in order to advise him on ruling the empire the jagadguru vidyatirtha then issued this letter and vidyaranya came back to the court in hampi as a royal rajaguru to help bukka administer and rule his kingdom effectively as per the dharma shastras this was the level of importance given to vidyaranya even before he became the pontiff of shringeri sometime around 1374 ad vidyatirtha passed away and vidyaranya became the head of shringeri matha we have a place called vidyaranyapura about a mile or so from shringeri it is called so because it was granted as an agrahara by the vijayanagara king harihara 2 in memory of vidyaranya on his death in 1386 ad last but not least vidyaranya was also a prolific writer and a literary giant 
There's a well-recorded story about a philosophical debate between Vidyaranya who took the Advaitin position and Akshobhya Thirtha who was a Dvaita scholar. This debate was supposed to have been moderated by Vedanta Desika who is a Sri Vaishnava scholar and founder of Vadakalai sect. In this philosophical debate, Vidyaranya had lost to Akshobhya Thirtha and in commemoration of this victory, a pillar of victory was constructed in Mullubagal in Karnataka. Vidyaranya's most famous works are Parasara Madhavaya and Sarvadarsana Sangraha which means it's a compendium of school of philosophies, a compendium of all the known Indian schools of philosophy. So in this masterpiece, Vidyaranya refutes chapter by chapter the other systems of thought prominent in his day. Other than the Buddhist and Jaina philosophies, Vidyaranya draws quotes directly from the works of their founders or leading exponents. And it also has to be added that in this work, he takes a position of remarkable mental detachment which enables him to place himself in the position of an adherent of 16 distinct philosophical systems. So he is able to really objectively analyze each of the philosophical systems against each other. His another work is Panchadasi. Vidyaranya's Panchadasi is basically kind of a textbook, you know, the philosophy of the Advaita Vedanta tradition. And finally, his other work is Mahadaviya Shankara Vijaya, also known as Samkshepa Shankara Vijaya. The book is about the life and achievements of Shankara Bhagavatpada, or also known as Adi Shankaracharya. Vidyaranya also wrote the commentary on the Mimansa Sutras. And with this, we end this final installment of the Foundation series in which we saw the contributions of Vidyaranya and Sringeri Matha to the foundation of Vijayanagara. And we also looked at how important Vidyaranya was to the Vijayanagara rulers, especially to the first dynasty of Sangamas. To do a quick recap, in the nine-part foundation series, we explored the prevailing socio-political conditions prior to the arrival of Islamic invaders in the Deccan south. Then we also saw the collapse of the four great kingdoms, Yadavas, Kakatiyas, Pandyas and Hoysalas. Then we looked at the rise and fall of Kampili. The, and then we saw the conquest of Deccan in south with the Khiljis and Tughlaqs. The rise and fall of Veera Bahlala, Bahlala's resistance and a strategic support to the rise of Sangamas birth of the Bahamanis in Deccan and finally ending it with the story of Vidyaranya. I sincerely hope the listeners enjoyed this episode and the foundation series. If you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and a review wherever it is that you are listening. A huge thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. I hope to see you soon in the next episode in which we will explore the other aspects and chapters of Vijayanagara. We will also resume the main track of the season after this long detour into Foundation series. Till then, this is Narendra Vikram, your host and narrator, signing off. Hope you have a great week ahead.